Uh, the rest of you I'd invite to open up your Bibles to Philippians 2. We're going to be looking at two verses this morning. Uh, if you're new with us, welcome. Uh, there is a, a welcome card uh, that we'd love to just get to know you a little bit. Uh, you could share a prayer request, that sort of thing, uh, if you're not new with us. We've been in a series about priorities and just looking at how to prioritize like Jesus in various um, sectors of our life. And some of you are here for the green Frisbees in the back, and you could explain why triangle and why there's a bunch of frisbees there. Uh, We looked at uh, prioritizing as a church. These vines that are hanging around represent five pitfalls in ministry. Prioritizing in our ministry, what does that look like? And some of you may have been thinking, okay, we're prioritizing as a church, we're prioritizing in ministry, in relationships, some of these different things. But that's not realistic because I spend very little time actually at church during a given week. Uh, Much of my life is accounted for because of my job. Well, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about prioritizing on the job, prioritizing at work, and just looking at what what does God's Word have to say about that. Now, one of the things about growing up in a pastor's home is you get to kind of demo uh, biblical principles that are going to be preached that week because we want to live them out and and test them out. So um, any of you ever have like bonus chore day at at home where there's like regular chores, but then there's bonus chore? Um, We had one of those bonus chore days uh, this last week, um, our backyard was starting to look a little bit like these uh, vines. We call it deferred maintenance, uh, but we decided to get after it this week. So this is what nine Carlsons can produce uh, being drugged from the backyard out to the street uh, in, in about a half a day. So that was, that was us living this out. Now, all of my kids are praying that I'm going to talk next week about prioritizing at Disneyland, um, just so we can you know live those things out as well. I don't think it's going to happen, but we'll see. Um, Christians at work, let me just fire off some questions you may have had. How can I hold on to my values and get ahead in a really cutthroat environment? Can I serve customers and Jesus at the same time? What place does faith have in the workplace? And can I not sell my boss short nor sell Jesus out while on the job? So you've had, no doubt, questions like these and others as you've entered into into the workplace and tried to, to live out your faith. Now, for the sake of discussion this morning, let me just say this, that a worker um, is not just those of you who have a 9-to-5 job. I'm going to use 9-to-5 a lot. I get it. You don't all have 9-to-5 jobs. You have some crazy schedules. Um, some of you wish you had just a 9-to-5 job. That would be great. But workers, for, for, for what we're talking about here, are those who are employed, uh, those who are formerly employed, which we like to prayerfully call future employed, right, those looking for a job. Um, those who are both stay-at-home workers and leave-the-house workers. So some of you work from home because you have a home office. Some of you are stay-at-home parent, and that's your job. Some of you leave the house. And then for students, your job as a student is to study. That's, that's essentially your job during that phase of life. So work is your job, finding a job, studies and homework, and then housework, chores, raising kids. Okay, So I've probably hit... Almost all of you in this room with that. We are confused about work, or we are in danger of becoming confused about work. Here's why I say that. We're sinful creatures, and so we tend to veer off of what God has said about some things. I want to paint two kind of caricatures, and I realize that most of you don't fit wholeheartedly into just one of these all the time, but see if some of these ring true. Some of you are driven to work hard. You only know more. You are the achievers. You pursue bigger numbers. 
You, you are just, you have this internal drive to keep on going. You quote Thomas Edison who says this, there is no substitute for hard work. And you live by that. You are a rat who wants to win the race at all cost. That's just kind of your personality. You're wired that way. Now, the truth is that uh, in general, culture celebrates you. More most often equates to better. You are the ones that get plaques. Overachievers get plaques, um, but so do, uh, so do the overextended, right? Um, I don't know if anyone in this room, first service, we didn't have a single one. Uh, anyone ever receive a plaque for resting well? Some of you are like, if there was one, I'd have a wall lined of those. Here's what we don't tend to celebrate. We don't tend to celebrate those who live in balance, those who rest well, even though they, they work well too. And yet we have a God who modeled Sabbath. We have a God who, who commands Sabbath for our own good. And yet we as a culture in general, we don't tend to celebrate that and say, great job for, for resting well and in balance. All right. Uh, some of you are driven to work hard. Some of you hardly work. And the word Puritan work ethic uh, equates for you to cruel and unusual punishment. Um, you see chores and work to be put off and avoided like the plague. And your motto might be something like this. Why do today what you can put off for tomorrow or never? Right? Because you just, you'd rather not get to the work, not do the chore. Um, now, I realize probably most of you live somewhere in between these two, but you probably have a bent toward the sloth or toward the bee, right? And there's, there's, probably, there's probably one direction that you have to fight against more than the other. Here's what's kind of curious just for our age. You can, you can uh, wrangle with the, the details of this in your community group or as a family this week. But, but culture actually kind of celebrates both extremes. Culture, our culture right now really celebrates the hard work, and that used to be almost all that was celebrated um, but there's, there's a growing celebration of those who are, who are not working at all. And so as you kind of listen to the talking heads and sort of the public debate that's out there, there's a lot of talk about, about income e- uh, inequality and, and gaps that exist and, and this sort of thing. And, and even as you listen to that, I want to challenge you to go back to Scripture and say, what does Scripture have to say about that? There are principles in Scripture that say that, that those who don't work don't eat. There are principles in Scripture that say absolutely reach out and help to those who are in need of that. However, there are some rules involved. Younger widows, they shouldn't be enrolled in, in, the, in the widow's help program. Make sure that they're real widows. There are some different principles there that are guiding principles for us to think through and be guided by rather than just sort of the, the culture uh, temperature right now. What does God say about work? I think there is some teaching needed. Some of you may have heard this for the first time this morning. For many of you, this probably will be some sort of a reminder, like, oh, yeah, I've lost sight of that. Philippians chapter 2 is our passage this morning. Let me read it, and it says this. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. We're just going to look at these two verses this morning. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Some of your translations say without complaining or arguing. Now this cannot mean chores and work and studies, can it? Paul chose the word all things quite deliberately there. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote in an era of the Greeks who would have been very heavily influenced by Homer. Homer wrote 
about mythical made-up gods, and these mythical made-up gods had something to say about work. The mythical made-up gods hated mankind, and so in their divine hatred, they condemned mankind to work. Now, what's sad is many people today view work as nothing more than condemnation, maybe from some god that's mad at them. And many Christians even think this way. If we view work as this way, it will never rise above just something to be tolerated, something to just kind of survived and gotten through. So we learn to cope. We learn to manage. We learn to try to just kind of get through each week only to do what? To start the process all over again the following week. I want you to dream with me for a moment that we could actually thank God, not just for Fridays, but we could actually thank God for Mondays as well because of a right view of work. Now, I'm not going to get silly here and oversell work to something that it's not. We're going to get into some of the hardships of it. But what I want to do is I want to lift our gaze. I want to lift our gaze to think about work from God's perspective. What does he have to say about it? I want to change your mind about work itself. The Bible says that we're not to conform to to this age, to this world, but rather we're to be completely transformed by what? By changing our mind, by changing how we think about things. And perhaps in this room, the hours that need changing the most are from 9 to 5, the way that you view your work hours. So let's get into it. What we're talking about here is a good theology of work. What has God said about work? Let me show you this first of all. God is a worker. God works. A past work of God is creation. Pretty big job? I'd say so. That's one of the past works of God. Here's one of his present works. The hand of providence. God holds all things together. He keeps things going. He sustains all things. God is also in the work right now of redeeming things. We sing this great line in a song around here. It says this, God, you've redeemed my wasted years. That's where we can look back and say, man, this was such a waste. I didn't use it for anyone's good. I thought I was using it even for mine, but it wasn't. And God turned it into something really incredible. That's God at work. And there's this future work that's coming. God is going to restore all things. If you ever want to daydream in kind of a more intentional direction, just go read Romans chapter 8. It's a great forward-looking thing to say that, that all of things in creation and all the created order are going to be restored to how God wants them. It's going to be glorifying to him. John chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus said, My father is working until now, and I am working. God is a worker. Let's not miss that. Secondly, God created us in his image, and he said, be fruitful and multiply and have dominion. You know how I would summarize that? Work at home, tend to the family. Work in the field, tend to the job. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and following, you can read all about it. Here's the kicker. God says after saying, tend to the family and tend to the field, He blesses it and calls it all very, very good. Do you catch that this is pre-fall, pre-curse? This is God setting up an order and saying, this is good. I work, you're created in my image to work as well. So what happens with the curse? It's not the start of work, but rather kind of the, the change of work. I love how John 
MacArthur spoke on this. Uh, he, he said this, Originally man was a flower arranger, and the curse turned him into a plow horse. The fall did not introduce work, it changed its nature. Work neither began nor ceased with the fall, it just took a different shape. It went from being a righteous blessing solely to being a righteous blessing with a curse on top. And that's, that's the truth of it. The fall changed things. Thirdly, uh, there is dignity that comes from being made in God's image to work. Monkeys, if you'll notice, we loved going to the zoo as a family. Monkeys don't manage and develop and release the potential in other monkeys. That's not something they do. Plants don't cook or create symphonies or paint pictures. Psalm 19 tells us that the heavens pour forth speech, but stars speak of God's glory, but never use written language to magically convey one idea to another person silently the way that that language can. Birds are beautiful, created things, but they've never built an orphanage school that pulled kids in off the street to give them a hope and a future. People do. People do all those things. Do you know why? Because God took his image and he stamped it on us. And so people are able to accomplish those things. People are able to go out and do those very kinds of things because there's a dignity and a stamp onto our work that God's given to us by the created order. So before even getting to priorities actually on the job, it's really good to get clear on the nature of work, on the job itself. Part of the created order is that you work. Thorns and thistles now frustrate that work. Amen? Yes. There's all kinds of thorns and thistles at work, but it is good that you work. All right. Let's look at a couple of priorities at work. I'm just going to give you four this morning. If you want to jot them down, you can. Uh, number one is this. Working, work is a blessing, not a curse. We've already talked about that, that, that the, the nature of work itself is a blessing. This is why we can do our work without complaining and arguing. We can go, now are there things that are going to want to make you argue? Absolutely. Are there things that are going to make you want to complain? Of course. But just understanding as we go off to work, whatever our work is, to understand this is part of God's plan that I work changes things. I'm going to give you an action item for, for each one of these. And the action item for this first one is this. Make a list of all the things that you are thankful for today about your job. Just start jotting down things that you are thankful for. Sometimes spouses come to me and they're having marital problems. And when you sit down with a couple that's having marital problems, here's what, here's what you can observe pretty easily uh, on the front end of things. Is, is most often that couple, especially one person, can see nothing but the negative in their spouse. They've lost sight of all the great in their spouse, all the good things in their spouse. And so all you hear is kind of a one-sided thing. I think some of us are like that with our jobs. All you hear is complaint and disgruntlement about that, complaining about the job. So here's an action item. Take out an actual pen, or I guess use your thumbs, or use your fingers, however you want to do it, and make a list of all the things you're thankful for. Let me give you a few that, that just maybe to kind of get you started. Are you frustrated in your job right now? Are you, are you struggling with it? Think about the ways that God may be growing you in that. Maybe God has put that really antagonistic person to all that you stand for and hold dear as a Christian next to you on purpose. 
so that you can draw in close to him more, so you can walk and say, God, it's an act of faith that I live and, and walk blamelessly today before you. Maybe it's creating a deeper dependence on you. Uh, many of you pray before you eat a meal. Do you know how you have money to eat today? You have money because you have a job. Thank God that you have a job that you can eat. That's a really, really good thing. Here's another thing. Some of you contribute to Bible translation on the front lines of ministry thousands of miles away. You know why? Because you have a job, and you've learned to be generous with that. God's put that on your heart, and you're now generous with your money, and you now get to vicariously be a part of a ministry that's translating God's word to people who don't have God's word at all. That's pretty awesome. You have a job, and you get to contribute to that. On and on and on you could go. Just ask God, God... I'm having a hard time coming up with it. Help me be thankful for my job today. Help me to make that list. All right, here's number two. Number two is to be a truth teller. Being straight in a crooked world. Verse 15, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish. In the midst of, now he contrasts that with a crooked and twisted generation. Blameless, innocent, without blemish. Of all the things I could talk about in terms of holy living and how, how, should we, how should we live that out, let me just direct your attention to one principle that actually kind of trickles into a lot of different integrity-type issues. It's the idea of being a truth liver, a liver of a, a live your life truthfully. All of a sudden, my brain went to a food I really dislike. Um <laughs> Live your life in a truthful way and speak forth the truth. So just that overarching principle of being truthful. Armed with this priority, you begin to shine like stars. One of the curious things about trying to find priorities like Jesus on the job is that we don't know much about Jesus' job as a carpenter, per se. We know he was a carpenter, but at some point, he took the carpenter's apron off, laid those tools down, and he really went on to complete uh, the, the real mission that he was here for those last three and a half years. So we have to look elsewhere. And one of the areas I want to direct you to are the characters in the Old Testament of Joseph and of Daniel. Joseph and Daniel, one of the things that set these two younger men apart as stars shining in the darkness is that they were truth tellers. They lived out the truth and they told the truth, even when there was huge risk to their life. To go before the most powerful person and just simply tell the truth stood out. Because when you're in that wealthy, uh, uh, powerful position, you're probably used to people telling you what you want to hear because they value their own life more than the truth. And Daniel and Joseph were people who lived in a twisted and crooked generation. As you do your history study, probably far more than what we live in today. And yet they were truth-tellers, and they shone on the job. John 17, Jesus is praying for his disciples, and, and in the course of the prayer, he's praying for not only these physical disciples in my midst, but for all of those who will believe based on their testimony. You know who he's praying for? He's praying for us. Jesus praying for disciples through the ages. And in this prayer, listen to what he says. Part of it is, is this, sanctify them with your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me, Jesus, into the world, so I have sent them, 
into the world. You are, as a disciple of Jesus, you are a sent one into the world armed with truth, being sanctified with truth. As such, truth tellers and truth dwellers, uh, if you want to shock people, if you want to stand out, live a life of utter truthfulness. Um, Jesus in Matthew 5 said this, let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything beyond this is from evil. I'm asking you this in the office politics that go on. Is there more than just simple yeses and simple noes going on? Absolutely. There's all kinds of side talk that goes on. There's all kinds of situations. There's yes in front of the boss and then a resounding no in the break room. There's all kinds of double talk that goes on in all of our midweeks all of the time. You want to stand out without needing to slap a Christian sticker on the back of your head or you know, throwing glib little phrases around? Just live and speak forth the truth. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Strive at that. Pray for that. Live that out. The Bible not only sheds uh, light on how we're supposed to view work, but also how we're to carry work out. And one of the things that Jesus just said, your word is truth. Get to know the word. Right in the middle of your Bibles is a, is a, um, a chapter by the title of Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is essentially a long love poem to the word of God. Here's your action item for, for this one if you want to take me up on it. Go to that chapter and just begin to circle all of the action words that are found within Psalm 119. It's only one chapter, so it shouldn't be that hard at all. Um, Circle all the action words and then learn to distinguish the difference. Why, do, why are there all these different words being used? And then don't just learn about it. Do it. Put it into practice. Start to live out the action words found in Psalm 119. And you'll be renewed and growing as a truth dweller and a truth teller. I want to invite um, Heather Jackson up right now. One of the things I wanted to do is just um, hear from a few different people. I realize many of you think, well, Dave, you can preach this sermon all you want, but you work in a Christian environment and you never have any conflict because it's a Christian environment and you don't know what my life is like, what my job is like. So we're going to get to hear from two different uh, kind of portions of our congregation to kind of help us out. You're going to actually use this mic. Um, and so I was chatting with Heather and, uh, and, and Heather's going to be a great representative from some of you. So tell us, um, tell us what you do and how long you've had your job. I am a domestic engineer. (laughs) (laughs) I am a stay-at-home mom. I've had this job for about three years. Awesome. And what was your previous job? I was um, a trainer for Nordstrom for 10 years as well as an inventory control manager for them. Okay. And then what are some of the the joys and some of the struggles that you face from transitioning from your previous line of work to to your new work? Well, I don't have to commute over an hour anymore. <laughs> I do have to get up a lot earlier. But um, the biggest thing for me is, I didn't mention this last service, but when you're working, you do get bonuses. You do get your little plaque. Um, you do get to compete. And that's exciting, especially for someone like me who's a worker bee. And um, at home, your job never ends when you're a mom. Uh, you don't get to go home at 5. And... Um, there's not a lot of plaques you get. <laughs> and I can't fire my kids. <laughs> I can't hire and fire my kids. So, 
She mentioned not being able to write them up in first service. Oh, yeah, I said I can't, you know, that, I could that, got, time that got my brain thinking. I think I'm going to start writing my kids up. That's, Perfor- that's pretty good. An improved performance review. <laughs> they wouldn't care less. Um, so how do, you, how do you keep your priorities straight on the job right now? What are some of the things you're doing? Well, um, what I was telling everybody in the first service is I'm not very good at being able to sit down and concentrate when I have two little kids. Um, even when they're sleeping or um, it's quiet, I just I cannot sit and just be still and read sometimes. So what I do is in the car, I'm in the car a lot, I listen to 88.1 Christian Satellite Network, and it's awesome. They have solid teaching, Chip Ingram, um, Skip Heitzig. So if you were in the car a lot, I would encourage you to tune into 88.1 FM. It's awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Appreciate it. Give her a hand. So just, just being a truth teller, and that, that, translates to, uh, that translates to mom, that translates to people at the office, that translates to people in the classroom, um, that, that you walk forward with that. It, it, it changes um, your perspective and people's around you. Here's number three, is to understand that God is sovereign, that God's the boss. He's the one in charge of your CEO. He's the one who's in charge of the review board that holds your career and your potential raise in their hands. He's the one who's in charge of the cubicle mate who's really annoying to you. He's the one who's in charge of you who's really annoying to your cubicle mates sometimes, right? God is sovereign. And to just understand and keep the big picture that God's the one who's the real boss that I answer to changes a lot of things. Every single Thursday night, right through this wall, the men gather for a men's uh, community group, and you're open to it as long as you're a male. Um, Yes, we do discriminate. So uh, that's that's happening every single Thursday night. Don't worry, there's a women's group in the next room. and a part of what goes on there that, that I hear week in and week out is this. It's guys coming in, and, and what, they, what they use is they use language that says something like this. Um, they, they're, they're with their brothers now. They're with their brothers who, who hold um, to that big picture, and they can just kind of release and say, man, there's, there's one other person I can really connect with at work. And sometimes it's just a look, right, that just says, we know there's more important things than what's being talked about right now. Um, but it's, but it's kind of like this. This sigh moment to just go, and there's other people who get it, that, that there are more important things than what, what I'm drilled with all week long or all day long. And, it's, and it's, a really, it's a really good place. It's a really good thing to, to see that. Uh, the, the, the truth with this one is that we all struggle with this. We all have a difficult time remembering who the boss really is, remembering what's most important. Here's what ends up happening. We end up correcting God on some things. Let me give you an example from Scripture. Jesus is talking to his disciples at one point, and he begins to tell them what's really going on. He says, let me tell you what my real career path is. My real calling, my real work is that of Messiah, and as such, I'm going to be abused, actually to the point of being killed by the religious leaders, but then I'm going to raise again on the third day. Now this is Jesus peeling back God's mysterious plan for all the ages right here to these disciples. What does Peter do? Here it is. You can write this down. Correct me later if I'm wrong. Matthew 16, 22. Peter took him aside, Jesus, 
and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Peter is correcting God. Listen to Jesus' response. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are setting your mind on the things of God, uh, not on the things of, of God, but on the things of man. Strong words for Peter, who had misplaced priorities. Do you see how important priorities are? He says, you're a hindrance to me. Get out of the way. You're blocking me for what I'm here to do. And then he calls him Satan. Pretty strong words. Setting our minds on the things of God, then, is paramount. Even from 9 to 5, maybe especially from 9 to 5. I mean, many of our waking hours are accounted for just to eat, just to make rent, just to survive. It's part of God's created order of things. Let me invite Kel up. Um, Kel, as you can tell, is not a stay-at-home mom or a domestic engineer. He is, uh, he is something different. And uh, I just want you to hear from, from some of the wisdom he has to share as well. So, Kel, uh, tell, us, tell us what you do and how long you've been doing it. So in my uh, industry, I'm in IT and software and things. And uh, my job is to make sure our largest clients are well handled. Okay. And, um, and what he did now is it's kind of worldwide in scope. There's a lot yeah, of yeah. things going on. Um, is it hard for you to keep work in proper perspective? Uh, yeah, of course it is. Um, so it's hard. I guess it's hard in one respect and, and easy in another. <laughs> um, I think the, the way that it's difficult is that the, the entity that I work for um, that I'm employed by, its objective is to increase shareholder value, right? That's not my objective. So just fundamentally, kind of right off the bat, there's a very serious disconnect. <laughs> um, uh, so that that's the hard part. Um, the easy part from is in terms of perspective, maybe not in terms of practice, but the easy part in terms of perspective is kind of what you were saying um, Dave, and I think part of what your whole message is, is you know, who's really in control and, and who are we really working for. Um, so I think, you know, and, and just you know, understanding and having an understanding of what's really going on in the world and that, yes, there is a worldview and, you know, all of us struggle, right, um, you know, with something. It's a fallen world. Um, but then that being able to connect with people that there's hope beyond that struggle. Um, keep, that, that's the part that's easy, um, is just knowing that that's kind of the greater thing that's going on um, every day of the week. And then one of the things uh, that Kel gets to do just because of his position, he gets to not only live out his faith, but actually you know, even influence and steer other people. And there's some, there's some subtle and, and some even overt ways. Like, what are some of the ones that... that yeah. Uh, yeah. So... Uh, I didn't say this first service. I thought about it as in between. But part of the strategy that we have in working with clients is to start small and expand. And I guess I try to apply that same thing um, with individuals is find that small, subtle way mm -hmm. to connect with people and then kind of expand from there. Uh, so some examples um, are <clears throat> the other day, or not, not too long ago, um, I met someone named Ruth, <laughs> and I said, ooh, that's one of my favorite books, <laughs> and things. And that's just a kind of a small, subtle way 
Um, another, you know, another way, as a, a couple other examples are, um, one of our clients is the Church of Latter-day Saints, and I just kind of flat out said, that's not an account I will work on. Um, and there are people that understand what I was saying there, right? And you can just kind of get that connection. Um, just this past week, I spent the week uh, at one of our technology conferences in San Francisco and at dinners and things like this while everyone's kind of jockeying and positioning and all this kind of stuff. I just threw all that aside and when I would talk to someone, the first thing I'd ask about is their family mm -hmm. and things as opposed mm -hmm. to kind of you know work and you know all this kind of positioning stuff mm -hmm. uh, and things. So you can just kind of, you know, what I try to do then is I try to make these small connections and then once those small connections are made, trying to expand you know, that, that dialogue a bit because all those people will talk, right? And they'll be able to tell each other, you know, hey, here's where Kel's coming from if they don't feel comfortable coming to me directly. Um, like I'll give an example of, um, of expanding that dialogue a bit and letting them know kind of that, that, that you know, where I'm coming from and that there's you know, kind of safety in, in a hostile workplace, right? There's safety for some of this conversation. Uh, a while back, a woman who worked for me uh, she wanted to take some vacation. So this is this is an example of how I expand things a bit. Um, she wanted to take some vacation, but it was at an inopportune time because uh, we needed to do needed her to do some things with a client that were really important for the client, really important for our business, and uh, and things. But she wanted to take some vacation because she really needed to be with her family back somewhere. I don't know where it was, and so she approached me about it, um, <clears throat> and I just told her. Uh, my how I view things and the priorities I see in in the world and in life and stuff and um, you said it was okay for me to stand Please on the do. chair <laughs> so I told her you know and I literally did this uh, you know this is no joke uh, someone might think it's funny but um, but I told her, I said look Monica uh, the way I see it and I literally got up on my chair and I said the uh, the priorities I see you have your faith and your family and then you have your work <laughs> Right now, that's a that's an idealistic framework. It's very hard to it's very hard to sometimes live that because uh, we are trying to provide for our families and make ends meet and all this kind of stuff. But at the same time, it just communicated to her, you know, the priorities and and what I see, and it let her know that it was okay and safe to talk to me um, and bring these things that she struggles with. Right, I've since talked to her about adoption and struggles in her marriage and things like that, and so um, you know, it just kind of you know, takes it and, you know, with her it was started small and subtle, but then it just expands, expands, expands. And I know she's told other people, that crazy dude, Kel, he stands on his chair and does this, right? Um, <laughs> right, but that helps kind of spread, you know, spread things and it lets other people know that, you know, where I'm coming from and it's safe uh, and things. Because I think um, it's, it's very comforting to me to know that there's other people in the room who have hope, right? And I think other people who don't, see something special in that relationship and then maybe that creates a catalyst right for uh, you know to, to talk you know for those who don't have hope awesome. um, and things, so. thank you <laughs> and then uh, lastly just give us our action item what are some action items to living this out appreciate how Cal shows hey this is the idealistic that's hard to live by there's still real challenge and struggle with with some of that but but what's maybe an action item to, to, to move toward that yeah. direction yeah so for me it's very difficult uh, to to carry this out in the workplace if I don't have the other priorities sorted as well as I can. Um, so, because I, I feel, I, would, I, I know I would feel, and I have felt, 
um, kind of hypocritical if things aren't going right with my faith, in my belief, with my family, and for me to kind of do things in the workplace, it just feels very fake and empty and, mm. and things. And, and, you know, like, okay, I'm, I'm going to get called on this, right? And, uh, and things. So to me, the action item is to, you know, be sorted, you know, and work out your faith, right? Uh, you know, with fear and trembling, like we're told, right? And get things at home squared away. Um, and for, you know, that's been, you know, it, it, for me, that's taken different forms. Um, when uh, Trent and Lindsay came along, uh, we, my wife Kirsten and I uh, really uh, made a point of it to pray together, you know, every morning on our knees and things. And it's, it's just been very meaningful. It wasn't something that we're practicing, but it's something that I put, that we started doing. At, awkward, at first it was awkward. It's like, okay, you know. <laughs> weird <laughs> uh, and stuff, but, but once we started doing it, now, we, now I can barely start my day without it. Um, and that just gives me the foundation to know that if I go in the workplace and I try to make these connections, you know, that, that things at home are sorted uh, and things. And then, you know, I've also tried to, you know, I'm not always consistent about it, of course, but, uh, you know, I try to read every day in the morning, just, you know, short, short you know, one-year Bible reading plan that's probably going to take me two and a half years, but, um, <laughs> so, uh, you can change the name yeah, over time. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Great. Right. But it's just, it's making sure that, you know, that you're sorted, um, you know, uh, at home and in your belief, because I think if you don't have that, then trying to do things in the workplace is just conflicted. Mm -hmm. And, and it, I just think it's, there's, it's, there's just a, it's just a facade. Uh, and things, and, and that doesn't, I think people see through it, <laughs> and it sure doesn't feel good. <laughs> awesome. Hey, give it up for Kel. Thanks, Kel. All right, so listen, uh, very, very few in this room um, get to work in, in Christian environments, and, and, uh, and so much of your day, much of your week is, is in the world, and Jesus said quite clearly, be in the world, but not of it. And so really this, this fourth one just has to do with that. Um, look, look at our passage today, that we're to be children of God without blemish. Circle this, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. So it's in the midst. Those are really important words not to pass over. And then it says, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Among whom, in the midst of. These are really paramount ideas to grab hold of and say, that yes, that's right. And who modeled this for us? It's the one we just sang about. Emmanuel, God with us, amongst us. Are we a twisted and crooked generation? Yes. Was it uncomfortable for the king of glory to leave? It? Yes, at great personal cost. But that's exactly where we're going to shine as stars amongst this generation, is in the dark. Let me invite the band to come on up right now. We're going to move into a season of communion in just a moment. My parting thought for you is this. Rather than invest time, and I would say maybe it would be a waste of time, dreaming about, wow, I wish I had a boss like Kel. I wish I had a boss that got it, and, and, I, could, and I could really, you know, 
um, live out my faith in a, in a non-antagonistic place, probably most of you don't have a boss like Kel. I asked Kel in first service if he was hiring, because I know that's what everyone was thinking. Like, man, I'd like to have a boss like that that got up on a chair and told me that my faith and my family were way up here and kind of got the way I'm trying to live my life. But instead of bemoaning your slot, the place that you're in right now, why not celebrate that? Why not say, wow, God has put me as a missionary in this mission field. Doesn't mean that you tomorrow hold lunchtime Bible studies or get up on a soapbox right during staff meeting and say, I'd like to open a staff meeting with a few words, boss. That'll probably just get you canned, right? But I like that, I like that principle of starting small and, and, and really beginning to pray for your workmates and the place that you're in from God's perspective. And think about this. You're invited onto a campus and into a classroom, into a job, into a cubicle, into influencing other people as you might be in management, into isolated working that just interacts with a few people, and, and no one else in this room is. You're invited in there. You get that place to have that conversation. I can't be there. Ben's our youth pastor. He can't go walking on to all the different campuses that are represented by our students being there. He can't show up on the work with Jonathan and start, and start just preaching. That, that wouldn't make any sense. You're there. So begin to see that and pray for that. Some of you already live this way and think this way, and, and it's fun to just hear that grow. Some of you need to be nudged to begin thinking that way. The context of our passage this morning is a great lead-in to communion. And in just a moment, we're going to have the elements passed. We'll all take and hold them and then take it together after one song. But listen to this. Earlier in Philippians 2, have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen.